Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? My name's Nat. My name's Jack. And today is our season finale. This is the end of season two. After this episode, we're going to take a three-week break to refresh before we start season three. But don't worry, season three, we will still be covering super interesting history topics and we'll be posting so many episodes. So yeah, thanks so much for listening to us season two, season one. We really appreciate it. Yes, Big shout out to all our Patreons as well because our season finale topic was selected by our patrons. So thank you so much for your support. And yeah, let's get into the episodes. Okay, so the topic we're covering today is the First Indochina War, also known as the French Indochina War. And just to give a disclaimer before we start, the Indochina Wars, in total, there are two wars, and they're actually very dense topics because it involves Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, France, China, and the United States, and it's just way too much to summarize in one episode so we're gonna focus on mostly vietnam and france in the first indochina war and then we'll cover the second indochina war as well as what the situation was like in laos and cambodia separately in their own episode so let's get started (laughs) okay to understand the first indochina war you have to understand french colonization in vietnam if you didn't know vietnam was taken over by the French at some point in history. So France started to gain control of Vietnam after the Sino-French War with China in 1885. They eventually formed French Indochina in 1887, which included the rest of Vietnam and Cambodia. Finally, following the Franco-Siamese War in 1893, Laos was added, and this is fully formed into French Indochina. When people say like the Indochina Wars, it's not just Vietnam, it's Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Oh, I always thought it was just Vietnam, so how did I not know that? Vietnam under French rule went very similar to any other colonization effort. The resources in Vietnam were used for economic gain only for the French, with any economic progress in Vietnam only benefiting the French and a very small class of wealthy Vietnamese that would collaborate with them throughout the Mm -hmm. colonial regime. So the mass majority of Vietnamese people were deprived of any benefits from social policies completely throughout Mm the 1900s. And under French rule, they constructed a lot of irrigation works and ended up quadrupling rice cultivation between 1880 and 1930, which is huge. Like, you're producing a lot more food. That's only 50 years. However, the individual peasants' rice consumption during this time actually decreased without any substitution to other foods because all of the 
rice production was getting sold and exported out of the country. Uh. Yeah, so they actually ended up getting less than they were before the French had taken over. Oh, that's awful. Also, the land was not distributed to the peasants, but sold off to the highest bidders, which were the small class of Vietnamese collaborators and outside French investors. So because of that, this created a new class of Vietnamese landlords and landless tenants who worked the fields of the landlords for rents up to 60% of the crop. What? So that means that whatever the peasants are able to produce on that land, 60% of that has to go back to the landowner. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, so they're not even, so all the, like, they don't get 100% of the crops they grow. They have to send most of it to the landowner. Yeah, a majority of it goes back to the landowner, and then they only keep 40%. And then you pay tax on that as well. Oh my god. So even if a peasant did own the land, the peasants were usually, I could say peasants so much at this episode, but even if they did own land, peasants would usually lose their land to large landowners because they were unable to repay the loans which were given out at extremely high interest rates. Mm. So as a result, the number of landless families in Vietnam before World War II, which is 1939, was estimated at half of the entire population. What? And the French also imposed both direct and indirect taxes to finance their public works programs. Like we saw in When Did India and Pakistan Start Fighting? Mm -hmm. One of the things that the British did was anything, any improvement to India was paid for by Indians. They didn't just do all these improvements for free. They were heavily taxed to pay for anything that they received. Mm -hmm. So the same thing was happening in Vietnam. The French also recruited the Vietnamese into forced labor for the public works projects without any protection from exploitation in mines, rubber plantations, and other harsh working conditions. And this is something to note too, Because you see this in, like, Francophone Africa, which is, like, Western Africa, where a lot of the companies are still French-owned, and that was the situation in Vietnam as well. The rubber plantations, mines, and industries were all controlled by the French, as well as all other businesses, such as local trade and housing. So all of the work that's going on in Vietnam just goes back to grow France, It doesn't grow Vietnam. Yeah. And the consequences were really severe as no property-owning indigenous middle class developed, and it was very much a small minority of people holding all of the wealth and the vast majority of people suffering. There's a huge, huge gap between the rich and the poor. And the reason I say all of that intro on French colonization is because keynote that economic method that is being used in vietnam by the french is capitalism Mm. so thus capitalism appeared to the vietnamese to be a huge part of foreign rule and this in addition to the lack of any vietnamese participation in the government heavily influences the nature of the national resistance movements Mm. and that is something to keep in mind as we move forward into the upcoming events Mm. Now we're going to go into the rise of nationalism. So the anti-colonial movement in Vietnam started as early as the establishment of French rule in the country. As soon as they arrived, the Vietnamese are already thinking, how do we, how do we get them out of here? Yeah, they're like, yeah. Yeah, they're like, please leave. <laughs> Um, So there is a small resistance in the form of local leaders refusing to collaborate with the French, as well as some guerrilla groups attacking French outposts. Side note, there's a lot of Vietnamese names in here, and I'm going to try my best to say them correctly, and I apologize if I'm saying them incorrectly. I tried very hard to look up YouTube videos on how to say them, but there really aren't a lot of resources on how to say Vietnamese names, so I'm going to try my best. Thank you to my friend Trong for helping me learn how to pronounce some of these words. 
You'll hear voiceover bits like this where I try to correct the places where I messed up in the episode. Anyways, a larger resistance movement develops in 1885, and that is led by scholar Fan Ding Fung. And he led a rebellion that collapsed after his death in 1885. In the early 20th century, a new national movement arose through spokesman Fan Boi Chao, which aimed to get rid of French rule, but not Western ideas such as science and technology. After World War I, the movement for national liberation intensified and many intellectuals aimed to gain political concessions from the colonial regime through collaboration with the French. Mm. We also saw this in India with Great Britain where they felt like if they collaborated with the country, they might be able to get their rights. So they also tried this as well in Vietnam. However, this failed and a revival of revolutionary groups started to form, including the Vietnamese Nationalist Party (laughs) known as Vietnam Quoc Tang Tha in 1927. And we will refer to them as VNQDD for the rest of this. So after a group of VNQDD killed their French officers, a huge wave of repression followed from the French that took hundreds of Vietnamese lives and sent thousands to prison camps. Oh my god. Many of the VNQDD members were then sent into exile in China, and by 1930, a new prominent leader known as Ho Chi Minh started to gain popularity. There we go. In 1924, he went to China where he set about organizing exiled Vietnamese communists. In June of 1925, Ho Chi Minh forms the Revolutionary Youth League of Vietnam, which later becomes the Indo-Chinese Communist Party. Mm. So now, end of World War II, which is really interesting because... Did you know that the Japanese also occupied Vietnam for a little bit? It doesn't surprise me. I feel like they kind of conquered all of Asia. (laughs) Yeah, they tried. At least tried. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At the end of World War II in 1940, the Japanese occupied French Indochina. And meanwhile, Ho Chi Minh made contact with the Allies and aided operations against the Japanese in South China. Now, Ho Chi Minh physically returns back to Vietnam in 1941 and on May, May 19th starts a Vietnamese guerrilla organization called the Viet Minh, Mm. which is very important. So the Viet Minh were formed to fight for Vietnamese independence against the French colonial rule and occupying Japanese forces. In late 1943, members of the Viet Minh, under the leadership of Vo Nguyen Giap, began to infiltrate Vietnam to launch guerrilla operations against the Japanese. And then in September of 1945, that same year, the Japanese surrendered to the Allies, and that's the end of World War II. Mm. And when that happens, Ho Chi Minh declares Vietnam independent. Spoiler alert, Vietnam isn't independent till later, so they didn't. They took that with a grain of salt. With the Japanese leaving Vietnam and ending their occupation in 1945, the French actually attempt to reimpose their colonial rule on vietnam that's i don't know i'm just surprised because like after world war ii france was not doing so great so it's like how did they have the power to go back to vietnam because they had just been kicked out an excellent point nat because (laughs) that's why they felt they need to go back Ah. they believed that controlling vietnam was crucial to france's post-war economic recovery like they needed that resource to make them money and help rebuild france they needed people and resources to exploit (laughs) their own economic exactly gotcha (laughs) and so french forces seize back southern vietnam and start open talks with the vietnamese communists 
However, in 1946, the talks collapse and French warships start bombarding northern Vietnam in the city of Haiphong and killing thousands. In response to this, the Viet Minh launch an attack against the French in Hanoi, which mm. is the modern-day capital of Vietnam. This happens on December 19, 1946, marking the start of the First Indochina War. Okay, so Nat, do you know what else was happening in, like, the 1940s in Asia? I'm guessing something something in China. Yeah, is it called... Cultural revolution? Is it that early? No, that's later. Well, it's like Mao Zedong's Chinese yeah. communist supporters. They come to power. Okay. So Mao Zedong actually agrees to support the Viet Minh while the United States choose to aid the French mm. and anti-communist Vietnamese forces in the Indo-Chinese War, in the first Indochina mm. War. Yeah, that's really important to note that during this time, the Cold War is also going on. So you'll see involvement from other countries. They're not doing it out of the good of their hearts. They're doing it because they have their own um, agenda to either stop the spread of communism, promote the spread of communism. And they just kind of use this war as a vehicle for those needs. But for the Vietnamese, you have to remember that, especially in the first Indochina War, it's very much a fight for their independence. It is like a communist group. Ho Chi Minh was a communist, but at the core, it's a nationalist movement for them. Yeah. Right. So during this war, France frequently expresses confidence that their superior weaponry and resources are going to lead them to victory of the war. And honestly, like the rest of the world feels the same way. Vietnam is a poor country. Most of the people are starving peasants and they don't have like the same type of artillery. Most of the people that form the Viet Minh are farmers, school teachers, like it's just ordinary people. They were, however, highly strategic, highly skilled and knowledgeable of their environment. And they also had much more Mm -hmm. to fight for as they have nothing to lose. If they lose, everything's going to stay the same. But if they win, they get to be independent again. Now, the Viet Minh would operate in small units that would perform guerrilla warfare, which is surprise attacks and sabotage. And they were extremely successful in seizing territory in the north and central areas, as well as performing occasional strikes in the south, despite heavy French military presence. If anyone is planning to visit Vietnam, you might hear that the North is more communist than the South. (laughs) The North is more communist than the South. Anti-communist groups Mm. are mainly coming from the South. Also, before you go on, can I just say that so far, like, this is reminding me of, like, the Finnish-Russo wars where, like, Finland was, like, fighting against Russia, even though, like, Russia's military was, like, so much stronger. Like, the Finnish just wanted independence and, like, they were using their environment, guerrilla warfare so it's like you can never underestimate like how powerful a nation can be like when there's something worth fighting for yes yeah i totally didn't even think of that but you're right this is exactly like that they're using their resources and their environment as the months passed with no apparent progress in efforts to smash the vietnamese rebellion france became divided over whether to continue its effort with the war. And the French troops found it difficult to distinguish between peaceful Vietnamese and those that actually carried out Viet Minh missions because they look like everyday people. And so... Um, one Viet Minh official actually said that the Viet Minh were, like, fish in water. Uh, yeah. Another thing that, like, the French did to try to win over some favor is they 
tried to reappoint Bao Dai as a figurehead of the French-controlled government, and the United States then formally recognizes Bao Dai as the official leader of Vietnam, again to continue discrediting Ho Chi Minh and the revolution. And yeah, so Emperor Bao Dai was actually part of the royal family of Vietnam, but he was also born after France had taken over. So they really just put him back Mm. into power as a puppet for Western powers. And side note, I visited the museums in Hanoi, which is like the northern part of Vietnam. If you go into the museum, literally every single caption under Bao Dai is like, comma, puppet, like puppet government, like puppet, not really the real ruler of Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) Like... It was oh like, it's God. like Nixon and the puppet <laughs> ruler. Like, they yeah. never, they're just not taking him seriously. I don't know if it's different in the South, but in the North, they're like, this person was not. <laughs> not even subtle about it. Just Yeah. So, yeah, the United States is also very scared about the rise and spread of communism. So, they actually send tons of U.S. aid to the French military. But a lot of other countries don't see a point in getting involved because they don't believe it's possible to stop the independence movement of Indochina and they don't want to join a losing battle. Yeah. Despite the influx of aid from the U.S., the Viet Minh managed to strengthen their hold over the North and they, again, received military assistance and aid from China throughout the remainder of the Indochina War. And then as the army grew in size, because once the Chinese are aiding the Vietnamese, they have a lot more in numbers, the Vietnamese Mm -hmm. communists start to show a greater willingness to confront the French in bigger battles. So they fought much larger battles in the thick jungles of northern Vietnam and continued to strengthen their hold over the region's rural areas. And in the fall of 1950, they launched a series of successful strikes against French military positions and supply routes in the area. Yeah, that's a really good strategy. And it was clear that the French had very severely underestimated the popularity of Ho Chi Minh and Vietnam's independence movement, as well as their nationalism and hostility towards the French. Okay, we're almost done. I know this is like a heavy, heavy battle episode and like a heavy... It's interesting though, like because it's not, it's not like your typical war where it's like, okay, they both have like equal size armies. Like this is like guerrilla warfare where... Like, people dressed up as civilians, and it's in, like, a difficult environment, you know, and they're, like, using whatever they can. They have to be, like, clever and resourceful, so it's more interesting. Exactly. And you know what? It's unfortunate, too, because I feel like I should add this as well, but because the Viet Minh are very well disguised as civilians, mm. you would think that like people in war, you'd be more careful not to kill civilians, but because mm. they're so hard to distinguish, Western powers yeah. don't care. Just killed everyone. Like, they just like, killed they just everyone. Killing. They were just like everyone in the whole village, which was so... It was like torture after they killed them too. That's like also in the mm. museum in Vietnam is just like, they do not hold back. Like all the images, like US soldiers mm. dragging like dead corpses and they're like smiling like it's really a disgraceful Mm -hmm. part of u.s history there's no excuse for it like i I don't know like it's just so like evil and gruesome and disturbing and it's yeah it's also a funny side note the visa to get into vietnam for u.s citizens is 40 dollars which isn't too expensive like for china it's over a hundred dollars but it's more expensive than any other southeast asian country and so Uh. my uncle who is not american was like oh, you know what, they're making you pay for that war. (laughs) Like, when he saw my, like, Vietnam uh, visa application. Oh, my God. I was like, honestly, fair. Let me throw in some more money. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Still won't be enough, but... So, anyways, I'm gonna 
this is like towards the end, but the this is the final most important battle in the first Indochina War, also mm. known as the French Indochina War. Just did I say that at the beginning? Yes. The, like the second Indochina War is actually known as the Vietnam War. Like those are oh I don't know if you said that then. Okay. Indochina Wars as like a block. There's the first and second Indochina Wars. And the first Indochina War is actually also known as the French Indochina War because the French are the ones mainly fighting. And then the second Indochina War is known as the Vietnam War, which is most like the US and Vietnam fighting. The most important battle that you will hear about for the first Indochina War is the Battle of Dien Phu. In late 1953, a large French military force had been assigned to Dien Bien Phu, which is a city in the northwest region of Vietnam. By this time, the French were already preparing to negotiate an end to the war, but they wanted to prevent the Viet Minh communists from taking control of the Mekong River Valley and the nearby region that bordered Laos. And they thought that If they can still hold strong positions, then they would have more leverage when it came to negotiations at Mm. the end. However, in early 1954, the Viet Minh successfully isolated the military post from other French troops and launched a fierce siege on the stronghold. The Viet Minh ended up trapping and battering the French soldiers with artillery, anti-aircraft guns, and automatic weapon fire. And the French tried to get supplies in by parachute, but the French transport planes were either shot down by the Viet Minh or the parachutes would miss their mark. So it's actually really gruesome and I can't even begin to imagine what that was like for a lot of the soldiers. But you're basically (laughs) surrounded and trapped and then it's just not only are you getting shot on like every day, you have no supplies, you have no medicine, you just die like slow, painful deaths. There's no yeah. water, water eventually gets, because they throw a lot of the bodies in the in the river and so oh, that pollutes ew. your drinking. Mm-hmm. And so at some point they said that they could only purify the water by droplets because it's so polluted, you, you have to eye drop them out and then purify that bit and you it's a very slow process oh my god so anyways yeah it's horrible war That's is just really yeah war is just terrible yeah so anyways on may 7th 1954 the garrison at Dien Bien Phu was finally overrun by Viet Minh forces and the French suffered one of the most significant defeats in modern military history and this officially ends France's dream of reestablishing colonial rule over Vietnam So after this, in July of 1954, peace negotiations start in Geneva, and the French agree to fully withdraw from Vietnam according to terms that are described in the Geneva Accords. They also decide to temporarily split Vietnam into a north and south at the 17th parallel, with the 17th parallel being a demilitarized zone, like a DMZ. Yeah. Which I didn't realize Vietnam was split, like, temporarily, so... yeah. With the split, right, Vietnam's divided into northern and southern regions, and Ho Chi Minh is in command of the northern region of mm. North Vietnam, with Hanoi as its capital, and then Emperor Bao Dai is in control of the south of Vietnam, with the capital being Saigon, which is today called Ho Chi Minh City. It's a little foreshadowing as to <laughs> what happens. Yeah. They literally renamed it after the guy that ruled the north. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> they're, um, they're rivals, so I wonder who... <laughs> right, how did that go? 
the first Indochina War ends in August of 1954, and then on October 11th of 1954, the Viet Minh formally take over Hanoi and control of North Vietnam, and the French leave. They all, yeah, they all, yeah. what is it, depart, depart yeah. leave, pull out? Pull out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, withdraw. withdraw. The French withdraw, withdraw, their withdraw all their forces. <laughs> Wow. Well, I'm excited for the second French Indochina War. Like, I'm excited for the Vietnam War. And yeah, thank you so much, Jack, for covering this incredibly interesting topic. And I'm so excited for season three. Please, everyone, stay tuned. Um, yeah, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, some more exciting episodes, including the Vietnam War. So Yay! Okay, thanks everyone. Happy season two ending, I guess. Bye. <laughs> this has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That? If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening and see you guys next week.